Thanks for joining us. I want to remind you that if there's anything that you need prayer for, don't hesitate to give us a call, send us an email, or submit a request online. We'd love to stand with you in prayer. Today, Pastor is going to be talking about Luke 14, the story of the man who invited all of his friends to dinner and all the excuses they gave on why they couldn't come. When we start making excuses for why we can't make it to church or why we can't pray enough or spend time in the Word, we're really saying that our priorities are out of alignment with God. Pastor Dwayne is really going to challenge us with today's message, Kingdom Priorities. But I want to start talking to you about something that uh, probably some of you, but not all of you have done. I just going to want to challenge you to at least think about having a life verse. A verse that kind of motivates you. Uh, I remember when uh, I first got saved, and I didn't even realize I was like picking a life verse. You know, it was Romans 10, 13. Uh, in fact, when I received the Lord, it was one of the verses that was shared with me, which says, whosoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I remember Jeannie and I, uh, we get married while we're in, in uh, Bible college, and we're off to uh, Mexico as missionaries, planning churches. And one of the verses that's always in my mind, whosoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then working as an evangelist in Mexico, whosoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And as a pastor, uh, some of you, you've been here for years. Uh, there is hardly a Sunday that goes by that I do not quote Romans 10, verse 13, when people uh, lift their hand or come forward to receive the Lord, whosoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Uh, I can say that in a lot of ways my life is expressed by that verse. But more recently, the Lord had been dealing with me about another verse that I've really kind of, I get two life verses. You just get one, but I get two. All right? It's kind of like, here it is. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Now, now what I like the most about this verse is it just clarifies what matters the most. Loving God and serving God. Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This one kind of brings that all together. You know, Jesus said, but seek first the kingdom of God. It says always abounding in the work of the Lord. In other words, putting your, your, your focus on the kingdom and working for the Lord, it says, it is never in vain. When you, what you do for the kingdom, it's not in vain. You know, there's a lot of things that we do that are in vain. Right? We, we, we do them one day and they're gone. In fact, you may not even remember what you did yesterday. But one thing I know, it will make no difference 100 years from now. Right? But whatever you do for the Lord, it's not in vain. It's going to make a difference 100 years from now. In fact, if you look at the chapter right beforehand, it, it kind of sheds a little bit of light on this. It says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trump will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible and will be changed. 
This corruption must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. Now, what it's saying is this, is that Jesus is coming back, right? And I want to remind you that every single New Testament author, some of them only wrote one little chapter, but every one of them talks about Jesus' return. You know, a lot of people today, they believe, you know, you die, it's lights out. That's it. That's the end. But the Bible says, surely there is a hereafter. Paul is, he's in Ephesus. He's actually taken to the Colosseum. And they thought he was going to die. They, they, They put him in with wild beasts, lions and tigers. Give him a spear. And he said this, he says, In the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus. What advantage is it to me if the dead do not rise? And he says, now if the dead don't rise, he said, let us eat, drink, and and be merry, for tomorrow we die. He's saying, if there is not a resurrection, just live for yourself. Live a hedonistic lifestyle, because when you're dead, lights are out. He said, but when you die, lights are not out. There is a hereafter. I love what Jesus said. He talks about a beggar named Lazarus. He said, he died. But they took his body and put it in a pulper's tomb. But he said, but he was carried by angels to Abraham's side. When you die, it is not the end. It's not lights out. Instantly, the real you is going to step out of your body and angels are going to be right there. And they are going to take you to one of two places. And as a Christian, it says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he's done, whether good or bad. Now, this is talking to Christians. And it's saying, as a believer, you're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So it's not lights out, and we need to keep our eyes on eternity. The Bible says that Moses, he forsook Egypt because he looked to his reward. Now, he was in the royal family. Anything that position and money could obtain you, he could have had. But he forsook all of it because he looked to his reward and he considered the reproach of Christ greater riches. He realized that on judgment day, what was going to come to his account was going to be much greater than anything he could have received in this world. It says in that verse to be immovable. How many know the world is pulling on you all the time? And if you don't know, it's because you're asleep. Because the world is pulling on us constantly. In fact, Jesus mentioned a few ways. He said the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things entering in choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. In other words, Jesus is saying you can listen to the Word of God. You can read the Word of God, but there are things that will take priority in your life instead of your loving God, instead of the kingdom of God, and as a result, you will produce no fruit. I think the saddest thing that could possibly happen to you is that you make heaven and you get there by the skin of your teeth. 
In fact, literally, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says there are going to be some people that are going to make it, but they are going to have zero rewards in heaven. You're going to live in a government housing project. I mean, literally, it says you will have zero rewards. Everything you did, it, 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 it became choked. It became unfruitful. Now, Jesus said the cares of this world. How many have some bills? <laughs> Trouble with the IRS. Right? There, there's, there's relationship problems. You know, it might be in your marriage with your kids. might be stuff at work with the family. Right? But he said... You know, the cares, the things you've got to do in this life. He said, they can, you, you can lose your focus on what's really important, the kingdom, where you're, which you're supposed to seek first, and you can start to seek other things first. And, and I would just like to, to, to say that there has like been in the last just few years just a wave of this that has come into the church in America. Just a wave where people are putting hobbies, sports, family, kids, all sorts of stuff in front of the pursuit of the kingdom of God. I have personally never seen anything like it. Jesus goes on and says the deceitfulness of riches. Where you, you put your trust in riches. And you just think, if I can just get to this point, then I'm going to be safe. I'm going to be important. I'm going to be somebody. Money is going to give me purpose. It's going to make me happy. It's going to make me content. Listen, the love of money tells everybody all of that stuff. That is the deceitfulness of riches. It is a lie. But we can take and we can spend our life and make that the priority. And when we do, Jesus said it chokes the word and it becomes unfruitful. Right? Now, those things aren't wrong, but they're wrong when they get out of priority. The desire for other things. Now, it can be cars and boats and houses and clothes or hobbies or entertainment or leisure. All of those things. How many know none of those are wrong? But they're wrong when they get out of priority. Right? And the other things, they can be forbidden things. Perhaps something on the Internet. But what, what Jesus said is each one of those things has the ability to choke the Word of God. And cause your life to become unfruitful in the kingdom of God. And there should be nothing more important to us. It says immovable. In other words, you are not letting the things of this world pull you. You know, it calls out the best in us. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says, My dearly beloved brothers and sisters, stand firm. The New International says, Let nothing move you. Always giving yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It says always giving yourself fully, not halfway, not dabbling periodically when it's convenient, all in, all the time. Always giving yourself fully. You know, and always, and, and abound one translation says, you know, those are like full bucket words. Those are, they're, they're saying we get all in every day. Move the kingdom of God's purpose forward. Intentionally, strategically, passionately, always moving ahead. Jesus said, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers, they're few. 
Pray the Lord of the harvest that he send forth laborers into the harvest. You know, I mentioned this, I think it was last week. You know, we pray and God answers our prayers. How many have had God answer some prayers? Right? I think it's time that we answer some of his prayers. And here Jesus is praying and he's saying, we need laborers. Hey, do like Isaiah said, here am I, Lord. Send me. Send me. God is looking for some people to answer that prayer, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And again, so much we do, it's in vain. It's here today. It's gone. Ten years from now, it won't make a difference. And a hundred years from now, you know it's gone. It's done. It's vanished. It's wasted. But there is something you can do that's going to last for eternity. I like what Bernie said as he was talking about the offering. He said, we take something that's temporal, that's temporary, we sow it into the kingdom of God, and it instantly becomes eternal. You got 20, I, I, I remember years ago, we were living in Mexico, and uh, we go down to the market. Now, understand that in Mexico at that time, the price was never the price. All right? And so uh, there's this blanket that, that Jeannie wants. All right. And so I think it was like a thousand pesos. So we offered him 400 pesos. And he says, oh, no, 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 no. But because you are my friends, I will give you the special price of 800 pesos. And we're like, no, 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 no. We'll give you 550 pesos. Oh, he says, I'm losing money at 550 pesos. All right. And uh, so we were bargaining, and I said to Jeannie, because this guy only spoke Spanish, I said, let's walk away. Okay, so we start walking. Oh, my friends, my friends. <laughs> he says, I will give you the most special price today. He says, you realize, he says, I'm going to give you the price of only 600 pesos. He says, and my blanket will outlast your money. I never forgot it. We still have the blanket. It's 40 years later, right? We still have the blanket. And what was going to happen to that money, I haven't got a clue, all right? But I know it would have been spent. It would have been gone, right? But we got that blanket, and we still have that blanket 40 years later. It outlasted my money. Now, there are things you can do that will outlast your money, that will outlast your life, that will be with you for all of eternity. Right? Always abounding in the work of the Lord. God's not unfair. He will not forget what you've done, nor the love that you've shown for his name's sake in ministering as you still do to the saints. Right? That's my life verse. I think it probably ought to be yours too. Right? Billy Graham's life verse is this. You will show me the path of life, and in your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Martin Luther King Jr., his life verse was, but let your justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. Now, what's yours? What's yours? I, I want to encourage you. Find one. And, and I, I, for me, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, it just sums it up. Beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. 
probably uh, almost 300 years ago now. There was a revival in, in Germany among the Meridians. And two of the young men, uh, they, they heard what was going on in the West Indies, that there was an atheist British landowner who had about 3,000 slaves. And he said, no preacher, no clergyman will ever come to his island. These, men are, these, 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 these slaves are never going to hear the gospel. He said, if, if a clergyman were to, to shipwreck, he said, I'd put him in a separate house until he left, and I'd never let him talk to anybody about God. Well, these two young Germans in their 20s, the Moravians, they hear about it. And this was a tremendous revival that was taking place there. They had a prayer meeting that went 24 hours a day for over a hundred years. 24 hours a day for over a hundred years. And they heard about the plight. And they decided that they would sell themselves as slaves to this atheist British planter. So that they would be able to go and preach the gospel there. Well, as they're leaving, they've sold themselves, they're on the ship. The family members are emotional, they're weeping. They're looking at the extreme sacrifice, thinking, was it necessary? As the housing for the boat is cast off and it begins to move away from the pier, the two young men have their arms linked together and they shout back to their family, to their church. And they said this, may that, may that the lamb may receive the reward of his suffering, which really became the battle cry of that entire revival, that the lamb that was slain may receive the reward of his suffering. Uh, that ought to be something that's in the heart of every single one of us every single day. What can we do to effect eternity? Now, I, I know that so often today people believe that your Christianity is what you believe. But I, I want to expand that a little bit because biblically Christianity is more than what you believe. I, I could go down to division today and find a person who's living on the street, who's living, a, just drinking, doing drugs, and ask them, do you believe the Bible? And they would say, yes, I do. Do you believe that Jesus was born of a virgin? Yes, I do. Do you believe he died on the cross? Yes, I do. Do you believe he rose again? Yes, I do. Now, I want to ask you a question. Is that person saved? They say they believe all the right things. But really... It's not a Bible believing. It's just a mental assent. You, you mentally agree. But a Bible believing is when you do something with what you believe. It's not simply acknowledging it as a fact. It has to change the way that you live. Let me give you another example. Suppose that we had a person who came in the back door and they're just staggering in and they, they, they come up here and I, I bring the person up and, and I say, is there a doctor in the house? And a doctor comes up and examines them and, and says, all things being equal, if this person does not eat and drink in the next 30 minutes, they are going to die. 
And we say to them, do you believe what the doctor has said? That if you don't eat and drink in the next 30 minutes, you're going to die. And they say, yes, I do. And so we talk to them a little bit about their history and 20 minutes pass. And we say, do you believe that if you do not have something to eat or drink in the next 10 minutes, you're going to die? And they go, yes, I do. And we talk a little more, and now it's one minute. And I say, do you believe that if you do not eat and drink in the next 30 minutes, all things being equal, and the doctor being right, you're going to die? And they say yes. And as we're talking, the minute passes, and they drop dead. Did they believe? Not biblically they didn't. Because you don't believe biblically until you do something with what you believe with what you mentally agree with. You can mentally agree with something, but that is not Bible faith. And I want to remind you that you just have one life to live. This is your one and only life. In fact, this is kind of explained in Acts chapter 16. The, uh, Paul and Silas have been in prison. There's been an earthquake. The, the doors swing open. The jailer says, what do I need to do? to be saved. They said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And I love the Amplified translation. It says, put your life in his care. Put your life in his care. He said, this is true for you and for all of your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and he arose that same hour. He washed their, their, their wounds and went and was baptized. And it says that he and all of his house. It wasn't just something that he mentally assented to. It changed his life. The gospel is not something you just mentally assent to. That is not Bible faith. Bible faith is when you believe in your head that it's true and in your heart it changes the way that you live. If it doesn't change the way you live, it's not Bible faith. Now, in 1 Corinthians, 1 Timothy 6, I want to share a couple of verses here. As I'm starting, this is my first close. All right. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty or proud, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good. Let them be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold of eternal life. Now, notice what it says here. It says, let them do good. Do good. Now, now, the rest of the, there's a lot of the Bible that talks about being good. All right? But this is not talking about being good. This is talking about doing good. It says to be rich, not in your, your retirement account, but in good works. All right? It's kind of different than, than, than you are rich or you be rich. You are rich, you got a lot of money. But you be rich when you've got good works. Looking, where there is an eternal reward. Jesus said, you cannot even give someone a cup of cold water in my name and not receive a reward. Right? See, so we should, it, literally what he's saying, he said, because you're blessed, he said, you should give more and you should do more. I don't know if you realize this, but, but we live in a society, and, and I know you're pressed for time, you're stretched for time, but you know, you, there, there hasn't been a society before where, where they give you two whole days off every week. 
two days off every single week, besides vacation time and holidays. Right? You know, throughout history, most people have worked every day just to have enough to eat. But today, man, you can work eight hours a day five days a week, and have enough to live, enough to eat, enough to wear, enough to drive. You know, we're making excuses because we don't have enough time, but we're just cramming so much into our life. And let me remind you, God gave us time not to be a curse, but to be a blessing. He gave us time to help us organize. And so often what we do is we have wrong priorities. Jesus said what we're supposed to do is seek first the kingdom of God. But it seems like what's happening is if there's any time left over after we squeeze everything else into it, then we might seek the kingdom. Jesus tells the story about a certain landowner, and he's talking about God. He said, and, and uh, th this person, they, they invite a bunch of people to the wedding, and it, it's literally talking about the marriage supper of the Lamb when Jesus comes back. And he says, and the, the man, he, he sends an, an invitation again to all those who have been invited. But each of them has an excuse. Each of them has an excuse. One of them says, well, I can't go. He says, because I bought a piece of ground. He's like, I don't have time for kingdom stuff because my business is booming. I got to get to the cottage. I need downtime. I just don't have the time because of all the stuff that's going on in my life. I don't have time. I want to remind you, how many have heard of the Ten Commandments? By the way, they're not suggestions. Just thought I'd let you know. All right. Fourth one, remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Withdraw from the common employment, enjoyment of life, and dedicate it to God. Dedicate it to God. Most people in dedicate it to leisure, to entertainment, to family. It's supposed to be dedicated to, to God. The next excuse was, well, he said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I've got to go test them. Right? And, and I don't know what this is going to be, whether it's sports or golf. And I was told, don't ever mention, mention golf without hunting. Hunting, fishing, business, entertainment, whatever it is. All right? Instead of serving... Instead of worship, instead of seeking the kingdom first, right, we're just like, you know, I, I just got stuff that I need to do. But let me just tell you something. Worship revives your soul. Worship, it, it refocuses your priorities. And worship reconnects you with the creator. The other one said, I've just married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Uh, trust me, I know that being married complicates life. It complicates life. Somebody said, well, we just love each other. We're not going to have any problems. I got a verse for you. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 7. This is what it says. Those who marry will have trouble. How many married people can say amen? Amen. Amen. You know, it, it doesn't make things easy. It doesn't. But you know what? What? The, the purpose of marriage, Malachi chapter 2, the purpose is not entertainment or leisure. It's not even family time. The purpose of marriage, God says, is that you produce godly seed. That you produce godly seed.
Love what Paul said about Timothy. He said, you have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes from trusting in Christ Jesus. You know, I don't think we can start too young. One translation actually says it this way. He said, the sacred scriptures were with your mother's milk. And there's nothing like the written word of God for showing you the way to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. I want to ask you, what would your calendar look like if King Jesus was in charge? Put God in charge of your calendar. How many know he's Lord? That literally means king. What would your calendar look like if he was in charge? I tell you what, you'd pray every day. You'd be in your Bible every day. You'd find a way to serve the kingdom every day. You'd be in church every week, not sporadic. You'd be committed. You'd be committed. Not asking the what do I want to do, but I'd like you to ask this. What do you, who do you want to become? Who do you want to become? I, I want to become a bondservant of Jesus Christ. What does the king want from me? Second closing. All right. Ephesians 4.11. He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, pastors, and teaching for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry. Different translation says so that his people may learn to serve. In other words, my job is to teach you to serve. The previous translation said it this way, to do the work of the ministry. Right? Now, I believe seriously that this is the greatest problem that we have in the church today and we have for several hundred years. Another translation says, prepare God's people to serve. That's my job. My job is to prepare you to serve. You're going to have to give me a minute here. don't know how this is all going to work out. Let's see here. The lone pastor rides again. He's got to do all the praying, all the preaching, all the counseling, visit all the widows, take care of the poor, find those that are troubled, minister to the addicts, go to all the hospitals, make sure all the new people feel welcome. We've got to take care of, of every graduation, make sure that we're there. We've got to go to every wedding, We've got to go to every funeral. The lone pastor rides again. <laughs> however, however, the Bible says that the purpose of a pastor is to prepare God's people to serve. It's so his people will learn to serve. Right? My job is not to do something. My job is to make sure that you're equipped and you learn how to do something for the kingdom of God. That's my job. That's my job. And I, I, and I pray, I pray that you will be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. If you've been watching today, but in your heart, you know you're not right with God. You're away from the Lord. You need to get right. I want to invite you to pray a prayer with me to give your life to Jesus, to receive forgiveness, to get right.
And also, if you're watching, but you don't know where you stand with God, as so many people, they figure when I die, I'll find out if I made it to heaven. But the Bible says in 1 John, we've written these things that you may know that you have everlasting life. You're supposed to know today that you're forgiven, that you're right with God, that you're on your way to heaven. Not when I die, I'll find out if I made it. And if you need to know today that you're right with God, I wanna invite you also, bow your head, pray this prayer with us. Say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe that he rose again. Today, I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I turn my back on my old life. I'm not gonna live for myself any longer. I'm gonna live for Jesus every day. I thank you, you've heard my prayer, that I'm forgiven, that my past is gone, that I'm a part of your kingdom today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer from your heart, God heard your prayer. You're right with God. You're on your way to heaven. And we want you to keep growing spiritually. In fact, I wrote a book full of bullet points to help you growing spiritually. We want to give it to you absolutely free of charge. Now, you can download it electronically, or if you'll contact us, we will send you a hard copy free of charge. And again, full of bullet points to help you keep growing in God. Keep your relationship with Jesus alive. Thank you so much for being with us. God bless you. If you just prayed that prayer with Pastor Dwayne, you are making one of the best decisions of your life. We're so happy for you. To receive a copy of Pastor's free book, you can go to walkingbyfaith.tv and request a copy of this book be mailed to you. Or you can download it right there instantly. Either way, it's absolutely free. While online, you can purchase a copy of today's message, Kingdom Priorities, in the WBF store. You can also download the scriptures for this message under the on-demand page. We're excited to let you know about an awesome opportunity to help Walking by Faith reach millions of viewers around the world. Right now, any gift that you give will be matched up to a total of $345,000 due to the generosity of some of our partners. If God is using Walking by Faith to change your life, we'd love to hear about it. You can connect with us on Facebook or send an email to yourstory at walkingbyfaith.tv. We hope you have a great week and we'll see you next time.